So Aaron and I were gone last weekend, uh, and so thanks to all of you who uh, were here. I, thanks for Tom for preaching last week and for so many others who uh, led uh, here at Lakewood Vineyard. It was great. Watched it online. Uh, it was cool to hear Dana. If you guys didn't watch last week or didn't hear, Dana shared just a story of how God moves in his life and Kim as well too, who's using the tech booth. Uh, and so check that out. Uh, just really great stories about what God is doing. And so um, check out that podcast. It's good. But, um, oh, one quick um, we are not going to be meeting in person on December 26th, so the Sunday immediately after Christmas Day. We're going to have an online-only service, um, so we won't be meeting in person. Reason why um, is honestly just to have a Sabbath Sunday. So many of you serve and give uh, and be traveling with family. We just say here's a great Sunday of a day of rest, um, where you can rest, be with family, join online um, as we worship. As we'll, there'll be a short teaching, worship, scripture reading. Uh, it'll be really good to be together. Um, but so that's December 26th, and then we'll kick off the new year uh, strong. And so it's one announcement. But so today, like Gabby said, we're starting a brand new series um, called A Child is Born. And it's our Advent series. And uh, yes, Advent started last week, so we're jumping into Advent a week uh, late. But we're looking at um, the season in Advent. It's really the season that leads up to Christmas, like Britain talked about. And I love Advent. I love Christmas. Um, I love everything about Christmas, I think. I love the lights. I love the gift giving. I love the, the Christmas songs, all the stuff, right? And I don't know about you. I love the preparation. I just love the, like, the buildup towards Christmas Day. Uh, the ways that we decorate our house. Our house is not decorated at all yet, actually. It will get a tree sometime before December 25th. But I just love all the preparation, the anticipation, the excitement. There's so much planning. And for followers of Jesus, Advent, it really is a season of preparation. It's a season of preparation and anticipation as we look towards Christmas, which is when Jesus was born. It's preparing for Jesus's birth, just preparing for parties and time off and gifts and, and all those things. We got to do that meal planning, buying plane tickets, all of that. But for Christians, Advent is this season where we prepare our hearts for Christ's birth. And what does that mean, right? Because obviously Jesus was born, right? So how do you prepare for something that already happened? And, and Advent looks back towards Jesus's birth and also looks forward to Jesus's second coming when he returns. But the reason that in the church, um, in the Christian church, there are these seasons like Advent where we prepare for something that's already happened or, or Lent prepares us towards Easter, and the reason we have that is because we have this anticipation, but it's because we're remembering events that weren't just like an historical event. It wasn't just uh, something that happened, but it's something that's still changing the world. We spend this time to reflect, to meditate, to prepare our hearts for, to think about an event, to reflect on what not just happened, but is still happening in us. The new life that Jesus, when he came to earth, what the life he brought in our lives and what he's been doing still. And it's Advent is this season where we can engage and reflect on the depth and beauty of God's coming into the world as a human. And we look back to his birth, we look forward to his second coming, and we look forward to what Jesus is going to do. We look forward to seeing all the old things made new, that God is going to make all things right. He's going to transform the world. But also Advent reminder that we as Christians, if you consider yourself a Christian, are part of a bigger story. 
we're reminded again that we're part of something bigger than just our own story. I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes just thinking about my own story. Our kids have been sick last week. Me and Aaron and I have been navigating our work schedule, trying to figure everything out. It's really easy to just see my life. It's really easy to just see my own story, what I'm going through. And God cares about that. You know, it's absolutely, it's not that we can't reflect on the own things that we're going through. But seasons like Advent remind us that we're part of a bigger story, a bigger drama, a bigger narrative that God has been at work. And that we find ourselves more than just in our little story, but we're actually invited into a bigger story. There's a reason why we don't just celebrate on Christmas Day, but we actually need more time. I think probably because God knows us as human beings. We need more time than this one day to go, ooh, Jesus was born. That's cool. And then we like move on. We need this time to let it soak and saturate into us that we're part of something bigger. Advent reminds us that God is deeply engaged in the world. Advent reminds us that God is deeply engaged in the world even when we don't see it. Even when we're waiting, even when things happen that we don't understand, that God is still engaged in the world, that he doesn't stay far away. Which is encouraging, which can be inspiring, but oftentimes it's also challenging because God's story is often the story of unexpected things. It's often the story of unexpected ways. God usually doesn't do things the way that we think he should or the way that we would do it, he, rarely does he do it the way I think we would do it, right? Like, which is humbling because, you know, like my ways is, is uh, a little smaller and a little more narrow uh, than God's. But God does things in unexpected ways. And there's not much greater of a story of God doing something unexpected than what he does through the story of Christmas. Of God becoming a human, through the Son of God becoming a little baby and being born. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But God doing unexpected things. But this week, what I want to dive into is God's unexpected timing. How almost always God's timing and acting in our lives in the world is never on our timeline. It's never on our timeline. I don't know about you, but nothing rarely, I mean, barely anything happens on my timeline. That's probably because I'm impatient. But things always happen slower than what I would want them to happen, right? From the time it takes for, to order food for it to be delivered to, you know, if you're, maybe you're a student, you're waiting for your grades to be released, maybe you're waiting for a project to get finished, a promotion, whatever you're waiting for, maybe it's just waiting for your partner, your best friend to be ready to go out to dinner, right? Like whatever it is, rarely do things happen on our timeline. Has anyone ever ordered anything from Wish.com? Anybody? You guys know who Wish.com is? It's like, see, think about the opposite of Amazon Prime. So Amazon Prime, right, it's like one or two days, they're shipping things quick. Wish.com is like, we guarantee you will get it to you in at least a couple weeks. Maybe 30 days, maybe 45 days. But there's this wait. Rarely do things happen on our timeline. And in Christmas season, right, if maybe you're a child, maybe you have kids, or maybe you're a child at heart, but even the anticipation of Christmas Day, it feels like it couldn't come soon enough. It couldn't come soon enough because we all experience waiting differently. Different things kind of uh, press us. Different things cause anxiety if they take too long, right? Some things that bother some of us don't bother the rest of us. But I think here's what's true about waiting. The challenge of waiting comes down to two things. How much we want something and how long we've been waiting for it. 
how much we want something and how long we've been waiting for it. Because if there's something that we don't care that deeply about, it's not a big deal if we have to wait a long time, right? If you're ordering something on wish.com, it means I want it sometime. If you're doing like Amazon Prime and you're even like up in the speed, maybe a little quicker, it's like you want it right now. Waiting becomes a challenge if we're waiting too long or if it's something that we deeply care about. It doesn't matter how long we have to wait because we want it right now. But sometimes waiting can be fun, right? There are things that are like, it's fun, it's the anticipation, it's the excitement. Especially if there's something that has a date set, right, on the calendar. So if you've, if you've been married, you know, having your wedding date set up there, and you're like, this is a, there's an anticipation and an excitement. Or your birthday, maybe it's a vacation, maybe it's graduation. There's something that you're planning, you're waiting for, and you're like, there's an anticipation. You're imagining what could be. What's going to happen? How's it going to be? You're, you're looking forward to it. You know, I was thinking about um, how there are things that we're excited about with waiting, and it becomes exciting until it's not exciting anymore, right? Which is obvious. I was thinking about um, marriage, and so for me, I got married, I think I was 35 or something like that, and so growing up in a small town, like waiting till like 35, like that's like, man, like, you're really old, you know? Or I went to a small Christian college. If anybody ever went to a Christian college, you realize, like, man, if you're not married at graduating, you're doing something wrong, you know? And so there's this idea of, like, it's exciting to imagine, am I going to get married until you're not married at the time you thought you would be, right? In your 20s, maybe it's exciting to think about, but in your 30s, you're like, oh my gosh, because if I'm not married by 40, then dot, 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 right? Or there's things that grieve our hearts, like, Wanting to have a child, where we're waiting. We want a kid. We want a child. We want to be parents. We're married. We want to be a parent, and we're waiting. And it's maybe exciting for a while, but then it's not. Because you're waiting, and you really want it, and you're hoping for it, and you're praying for it, and it's not happening. There's not much more difficult than longing to have a child. And it's not happening. Or maybe you're graduating from college and it's exciting to think about the job that you want to have, that dream job, and then you've graduated and it's been months after months after months and you're still doing the job that you did during college. And you're wondering, am I ever going to get a job in my degree? Am I ever going to get the job that I want to have? Waiting is, can be fun and it can be exciting until it's not. One of the things I'm grateful for is that God knows us. He knows that waiting is difficult. He knows that waiting is hard. He knows that his timing isn't easy for us to process. So that's why there's so much in the Bible about waiting. He doesn't just leave us and say, best of luck. Hope you do all right. But he gives us story after story that show us how he works, how he moves in the world and in our lives. And today I'm going to look at the very beginning of the story, the Christmas story. Uh, Actually, we're going to look at the beginning of the book of Matthew um, this morning. It's going to tell us a lot and show us a picture about waiting to teach us some really important things, I think, that will be beneficial for us as we think about waiting in God's timing. So let me pray for us and we'll jump into Matthew chapter 1. Lord, we 
confess that for some of us today, we hear about waiting, we could think about stories of where you came through, where we waited a long time, and, and we saw you come through, and so when we think about it, we are filled with faith again, that God, we've seen you move time and time again, even when we didn't know how it would work out. But others of us, God, this morning, we confess, we're in a place where we feel like we're in the middle of waiting, and we struggle to believe, we struggle to trust, we struggle to have hope, we struggle to know what kind of posture, maybe we struggle to keep praying not quite sure what to do. Lord, this morning, for those of us who are struggling to believe, would you give gifts of faith? For those of us who need comfort, would you comfort us? For those of us, God, who are bringing in joy, would you, would we feel the celebration that you celebrate alongside of us, God? Would you speak this morning? Say, come Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This morning, we'll be preaching, looking at Matthew chapter 1. Uh, and for some of you, as I read through it, you're like, oh yeah, that's the part I skip over every time I read it. Um, it's the genealogy of Jesus. Don't worry, I'm not going to read all 17 uh, verses of the genealogy of Jesus. But I think it's important uh, to look at, actually. Um, and you can tell me afterwards uh, how it went. Um, <laughs> this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And I'm not reading the whole thing, by the way. Um, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And Jacob the father of Joseph, Joseph the husband of Mary, and Mary with the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. If you wanted to start a story in a compelling way for our current context, this is not how you would probably start said story, where you just list generation after generation of people who came before the person you're actually telling the story about. We don't really hear about the characters that we're used to hearing about in the Christmas story. There's no shepherds. There's no wise men. We don't hear about a star. We don't hear about the major emphasis of the Christmas story. Instead, we hear all this background. And that's because for Matthew, the Christmas story didn't start on Christmas. It didn't start on Christmas Eve. It didn't start even with this angel coming to Mary. The story of Christmas, of Jesus' birth, started much further back than that. See, Matthew is writing 2,000 years ago from now, and he is talking about things that happened thousands of years before him. Thousands of years before Matthew, promises were made. Promises were made by God. Hope was promised. Hope entered into the situation of the people of God years, decades, thousands of years before Hope was stirred. And what's embedded in these names, some of which I read, others that you can dive into, embedded in those names are stories. It's the story of God. It's the individual stories, but the story of God's work in the world. Not exclusively, there's a lot more that God had done, but embedded in that, the picture is to show that there's a story that's been happening story of God engaging the world with people like you and me. 
Because for some of those people, as I read through just even the list, some of them we've heard of, maybe we know their stories. Others, we don't know their stories. There's not a lot in the Bible about some of them. But before Jesus came, there's a story of God, a story, though, of waiting. A story of waiting. See, because Christmas isn't just about a birth. You know, Britain said it earlier, the word Advent means coming, arrival. See, because Jesus, his birth was more than just a birth. It was an arrival. It was something that had been spoken about years and years before. God had promised it. He'd foreshadowed it like any other good storyteller. There's one coming one day. And we see that in verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Maybe for some of us, the word Messiah is kind of a weird word. You can think about that another way, Christ or King. You just think about King Jesus. Jesus, the King. The King of kings. The greatest King that would come. The King that would make all things new. The King that would bring justice that would bring forgiveness, that would bring peace to the world, that would remove oppression. That king, here is the genealogy of that king who would come. The Messiah was the hero that God had promised and that his people had been waiting for. And when we first look again at this genealogy, it's easy to yawn, it's easy to skip over, probably because we can't pronounce all the names, we don't really know the stories. We're like, let's get to where there's some action. But embedded in this genealogy is so much action, but also so much waiting. God seemed to rarely move at the timing or in the way that the people that we read about expected, especially when it came to Jesus' coming. The Jewish people's hope for this Messiah was one that they were waiting for him to come save and forgive and heal, and it took generations to be fulfilled. And it's more than just what we think about. See, in verse 1, Jesus is called the son of Abraham. The son of Abraham. There we go. And that's not usually a term that we hear, right? We usually hear about the son of God, the son of man, if you're a church person, the son of David, but the son of Abraham. What he's trying to do, what Matthew is saying is actually Jesus, his birth, the Messiah, the promise of a king who would come and make all things new and make all things right, that promise is back to Abraham. It's back to Abraham thousands of years before Matthew, the promise was there because in Genesis 12, 3, We have this verse from Abraham uh, uh, that God says to Abraham, he says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through your descendants. How's that going to happen? That didn't happen in Abraham's life. That happened because Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. And all people were blessed through Abraham's family. But Abraham never saw that promise come about. He never saw that promise fulfilled. It's this long waiting. But even before Abraham, in Genesis 3, verse 15, God says that one day someone will come to crush the head of the serpent who represents Satan and destroy all evil. From the very beginning of the book, Jesus' promised arrival was spoken about, but it was thousands of years later. You understand that? Thousands of years later. That's like a promise of God that he would make today and happen in 4,000 A.D. That's a wait. That's a long time. It was a long time coming, and obviously it took much longer than anyone would have imagined. 
But here's the deal. It gets actually kind of more difficult because along the way, the Jewish people were used to God speaking through people called prophets. Right? And so prophets, along the way, they were waiting for this Messiah to come. But there were prophets who spoke and would say, hey, the, the king's still coming, the Messiah's still coming. The prophet would speak on behalf of God and would say, here's what God's speaking to you. And oftentimes it would be, hey, come back to God. It would be like, hey, turn away from injustice. Or this is what's happening in the world. But the 400 years before Jesus was born, no prophets. So there's a 400-year window in the history of God's people where they didn't hear God speak. Where there's no recorded, like, this is what God said through prophets. Maybe individually, by the Holy Spirit, he came and spoke. But we don't have any of that recorded. 400 years of silence. It seemed like what God had promised was dead. It wasn't just that they were waiting. It's that no longer was God speaking through the people he always had spoken about. It was silence. I know that some of us can relate. Right? And promises and things that we've waited on that we're asking God about. We're asking God to do. Things that we feel like he's spoken to us about and it just feels like silence. There was silence of the people of God waiting Wondering if he would actually come through. Because it wasn't happening in their timing. In the time that anyone expected. But here's the reality is that we can't judge God by our calendars. We can't judge God by our calendars. And that's so hard for me. It's not even, for me, it's not even my calendar. It's like by my day. Like I can't judge God by my hourly like itinerary. But we can't judge God by our calendars or our timing because God always seems slow. I'm sure you can give an example where he wasn't, right? But generally, it feels like the work of God is slow. It's never at the pace that we want it to be. The recurring theme throughout the Bible. If you read the book of Psalms, that's a prayer book. It's in the middle. If you're you're not used to the Bible, if you have a paper one, you open it up, you're probably going to hit Psalms if you go in the middle. And so many Psalms are about waiting. So many Psalms start like this. God, where are you? God, why aren't you doing anything? God, why aren't you acting? Why do the people who reject you seem to be winning and those of us who are trying to trust you feel like we're losing? Where are you? And in the end of the psalm, most of them, it's like, but I trust you. But I put my hope in you. The people of God are used to waiting, and we are used to waiting. It doesn't mean we do it well. It means that we all understand the story and the process of waiting. But oftentimes, here's the deal, right? And if you're listening, you're like, okay, well, yeah, the things I'm waiting on for, though, they haven't necessarily been promised, like, for thousands of years, right? Like, I don't have a promise from God that I'm going to be married someday. I don't have a promise from God that I'm going to have a baby someday. I don't have a promise from God that I'm going to have my dream job someday. Like, God hasn't spoken and said, I'm going to, I'm going to heal your body. I'm going to restore that relationship right? Most of the things that we're waiting for God to do that we feel like we spend our times praying aren't things that necessarily feel like God has promised to us. But they're good things, right? For most of us, the things that we're waiting for, we're saying, God, would you do this thing in the world? Would you do this thing in my life? Would you do this thing in my family, in my career, with my neighbors? 
So what do we do when our waiting hasn't been prophesied for thousands of years? What do we do when we're waiting, when it's been so long and God's timing doesn't seem to be on our timeline? Well, first, here's what I would start with. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. First, because God's timing is rarely our timing. Don't give up. But here's the other part. I think there's two parts. Don't give up waiting, but don't give up longing either. I don't know. We all have different church backgrounds, but for some of us, our church background is when we have desires, when we have longing, it's like push that down, right? Like suppress that. Like whatever the things that we want, whatever the things that we long for, like push those away, right? But here's the thing. God is not scared of the things that we hope for. He's not scared. He's not intimidated by the things that we desire, the longings that we have. Certainly, we want to bring those in line with, like, what does God say about it? But most of the things that we're longing for are good things. Most of the things that we're waiting for are really good. God's not scared of our desires. He's not scared of our longings, and he doesn't want us to give up bringing them to him. But sometimes we get burnt out, we get tired, we get exhausted, we get exhausted of waiting, we get exhausted of longing, we just kill that part of us and say, it's been too long, I'm not going to hope anymore. And God would say to us, don't give up. Don't give up longing, don't give up hoping, don't give up waiting, don't give up praying. Bring these things to me, I'm not upset with you. I want to hear the cries of your heart. We see that throughout the Psalms. Sometimes the prayers in the Psalms, if you read them, there are some prayers where you're like, that's not Jesus. Like, they're like hoping some bad stuff happens to their enemies. But you know what? God says, I just want you to be open. I want you to be vulnerable. Tell me the things you're longing for. Trust me to transform them if they need to be transformed. But don't filter. Don't filter God out. Don't filter your prayers. God says, don't give up longing and don't give up praying. But here's the next thing. I think that we would do is we're waiting in this long wait. Look to see what God is doing now. Look to see what God is doing now. The story of Advent, of Christmas, is this fulfillment of God's people's waiting on the promise for God to send the Messiah, for Jesus to come. That's the story of Advent. In their waiting, though, God was still acting. See, sometimes we can have such a big hope A big desire, right? They were like, one day Messiah will come, the Jewish people would say. One day. And that was their longing, that was their hope. And if they judge God and his faithfulness and his action in the world based on whether or not he had done that yet, God failed generation after generation after generation. And yet, in their waiting, God was still acting. In their waiting for the big thing, what they considered the ultimate thing, God was still moving and answering prayers. In this list, we see Abraham. Abraham gets this promise, your descent, like, you will impact all the people in the world to be blessed by you. He didn't see that, but you know what he did see? He prayed for a child in his old age, him and his wife Sarah had a baby. We read about Isaac. We read about Isaac in this story. He didn't have all the promises fulfilled, but he longed, he wanted a wife, and God gave him a wife in Rebecca. Ruth is listed in Jesus' genealogy, and Ruth was 
uh, became a widow early in her life, wasn't a Hebrew, was a Moabite, another, another ethnicity, nationality. She was a refugee, challenge, a refugee traveling to another land, and she saw God provide food, safety, and another, and another husband. Seeing answered prayers. We see King David in Jesus' lineage. He went from the youngest overlooked shepherd to the king, the greatest king that Israel had ever seen. And yet David had this promise that your line would last forever, and it didn't until Jesus. There was a pretty big gap there. Even while the people of God were waiting for the big promise to come through, God was present to them and meeting them in the midst of their stories. I don't know about you, but for me, I can get so focused on the big thing that I want that I miss what God is still doing. Right? I think about, you know, we're all in different places, but I think for those of us who are waiting for a different job, a different career, and we're seeing like, I just want that, I want that promotion, I want that new place, I want better hours. We just go, God, that's all I want, and that's all I focus on, and unless you're doing that, I'm not interested. And we miss the way that God wants to meet us in the middle of that career, in that middle of that job when things are tough, when you're exhausted, when you're tired, and God says, I want to meet you in that. I want to use you to impact your coworkers now. I want to answer prayers that you're praying now. Maybe that one hasn't been answered yet, but right now I want to meet you. Maybe you're hoping to get married someday. And until God does that, he's failing you. But the reality is he's answering prayers now that you're praying. He's acting in your life now. Maybe not the way that you've hoped, not the ultimate way, but he's moving now. And one of the ways that we live faithfully in the waiting is that we see what is God doing in my life So we don't give up. We don't give up on waiting. We don't give up on praying. We don't give up on longing. We don't uh, focus so much on what God is not doing that we miss what he is doing. But next, we also trust in a person, not a provision. We trust in a person, not a provision. One of my favorite speeches in the Bible and part of the story of God is found in Daniel chapter 3. Maybe you guys have heard those names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? If you're a VeggieTales fan, I think it was like Rack, Shack, and Benny or something like that. But there's this amazing, amazing speech given by these three men. And they've decided that they're not going to bow down and worship this golden idol. And they're Hebrews in, in Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar is going to throw them in the furnace. And here's what they say. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want to know you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They believe God can do it. They're asking God to do it. They actually believe that he's going to do it. But you know what? They haven't received a promise that he's going to do it. They don't know for sure. And so they say, God can do it. I actually even believe that God's going to do it. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to put my trust in something else. 
You know, bowing down to an idol is saying, I, I make you ultimate. I trust something else other than God. And they said, even if God doesn't act the way that we hope he will, the way that we think he will, we're still not going to let go of our trust and hope in him. They said, we're going to trust in a person because they trusted in God, not the outcome that they wanted God to bring. How often do we find ourselves in a position where when God's not doing the thing that we want, the thing that we hope for, even the good thing, guys, I don't just mean like that thing that, you know, like, ah, God, probably, this is probably not a big good thing for me. I mean like things that you can't imagine why this wouldn't be healthy, why this wouldn't be good, and we don't always get the answers why. But how often, instead of the prayer of, we, God, I want you to do this, but even if not, I still trust to you, it's more like, God, if you don't do this, I'm going to find another way. If you don't do this, then I can't trust you. If you don't act this way, then I can't have faith in you. I'm not saying it's easy, right? There are some things that, like, yeah, just, you know, if God doesn't do it, trust him anyways. And there are other things, right, that are like life-altering, life-changing. We're praying for healing. We're praying for a relationship to be reconciled. We're praying for a child. We're praying for something that's so core to our desires, and God doesn't do it. I'm not saying it's easy. But the invitation is, are we putting our trust in God and that he's a trustworthy God? Because here's the thing. If your God, if our God is big enough to be angry at for not acting the way that we wish he would, then he has to be big enough for us also to believe that he can work all things out for good. I don't mean he causes all things for good, but if he's big enough for us to get angry at that he didn't act and move and change, then he has to be big enough as well for us to say that, God, you can use this. You can work in this in a way that I can't imagine. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't mean we don't have wrestling. It doesn't mean that we don't cry out in anger to God, frustration towards him. And again, we sing in the Psalms, there's not many prayers that are off limits. That he invites us to draw near and to believe that in Romans 8.28, like I said, we know in all things God works for the good. In all things he works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And here's the final thing. When we're waiting when we're waiting, is that we look to a future hope. We look to a future hope. See, in Hebrews 11, it's this actually, it's another incredible chapter of lists of people. Some people call it the Faith Hall of Fame or whatever you want to call it. But you have this list of people who trusted in God. And it lists out all these things that, that God had did for them. And then it also lists of people who didn't see all of God's promises for them. And, and here's what we read. In Hebrews eleven thirty nine to 40. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something perfect for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, to be clear, many of the people in this list that I didn't read, they received much of what God had promised, but none of them received the promise. What's the better thing that they longed for, that they wanted to see? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Messiah coming. God making everything new. The very thing we focus on during Advent. They believed God would do it. They believed Messiah would come. That God would keep his promises. But they didn't see it. But we have gotten to see some of it. 
We got to see Jesus' coming, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And in Jesus, what they didn't see, we've got to see that we can find forgiveness of our sin. We can be restored in relationship with God. That there is healing, that there is wholeness, that God is fighting against injustice. That light has come in the midst of darkness. We can have a relationship with God that they could have only imagined. But it's not just a present hope, but it's a future hope that they didn't see and that we get a glimpse into. And that's the future hope of resurrection. Jesus' birth, it wasn't just his birth in Advent we look forward to, but his second coming because he didn't stay dead. But he rose to new life and he's coming back. And that means when we've been joined with Jesus, we won't stay that we'll raise to new life again. We have hope in the resurrection. And here's the beautiful picture that we're holding on to a future hope we see in Revelation 21, 1 to 5. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her Husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. In other words, all the times God feels distant, never again. All the times it feels like God is silent, never again. All the times that we wrestle, Man, God, I just want to experience your love for me, sense of your acceptance, your forgiveness, never again. And it says in verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, we all have things we're waiting for. We all have things that we're longing for. God's timing is rarely our timing. There are things that God has promised he will do, and there are things that we hope he will do. But we know that one day, he will take all the tears away. Those longings in our heart, he'll satisfy. The questions that we have, we'll have understanding. We remember that God's timing is not ours. We can't judge God on our calendars. We can't. We want to. We get frustrated. But even now, here's the promise. Is God wants to be present with us. I'm going to invite Britain, whoever else is playing up. We stand, guys. We'll worship and, and come up for prayer. Here's the invitation from God. Is he's saying, There's these things that we're longing for, that we're waiting for, that we're hoping for him to do and answer and be in our lives. And God says, I promise to be with you in the midst of your waiting. I promise to be with you. We don't always see the prayers answered on our timing. Maybe we don't see them in our lifetime. But God says, I'm with you. I'm for you. I want you to draw near to me. So this morning, here's the invitation to prayer as we sing a final song and then take communion. If that feels like you, you're in a season where you feel like, oh, I'm waiting, I'm longing for God to move to act in my life. There's things I'm asking him to do, 
and I'm impatient. I'm not even impatient. I just, I don't know if I can keep going. Or maybe you lost hope. You've given up waiting. You've given up longing. I'd encourage you to come receive prayer. And say, I'm struggling. God, would you be present to me? Would you speak? Would you draw near? Would you heal? Would you draw near to me in the midst of the long wait? The promise in Advent is that God will fulfill his promises. He will draw near. And one day he will make everything new. And his invitation is, come close to me. 